Really excited about this series as it was already kind of laid out there um, for us um, in response to what Pastor Jim LaFoon preached as a, a prophetic word about being a rainmaker. Um, a part of the goal of the sermon was to, to you kind of speaking through the Elijah at Mount Carmel circumstance. Um, or, excuse me, not just that circumstance, but the, his entire kind of um, story um, that's found in Scripture, um, we find that he prays that it will stop raining. And at Mount Carmel, there is this battle between Elisha and the, the, the prophets of Baal, and, 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 and Elisha um, is kind of like, hey, bring in all the extra water, even though it's been a drought for several years, and I want you to put it on this altar, because the challenge was whether or not, whether it be Yahweh would send fire onto the um, sacrifice or the prophet, of, excuse me, the, the god Baal, um, would he be able to send fire onto the sacrifice? And of course, God does that. But one of the things that Pastor Jim pointed to was the fact that Elijah wasn't satisfied with just that fiery service, just the fire coming down onto the sacrifice. But it was later that you would see that he would be on the mountaintop in a position of like a mother or a woman giving birth, praying for rain because he wanted rain for the entire city. And so as we're kind of approaching this series, the thought is, is that, man, we want to pray into this revival because it's not enough for us just to have great services here at Grace Covenant Church. I mean, that, that really is exciting. I, I, I truly um, love that when we come in and we can feel God's presence and there's something different that happens in the atmosphere. In fact, when, when I get the opportunity to lead pre-service prayer and, and the rest of the team, we have expectation that God will hear our prayers and that he will fill this building because he said wherever two or three are gathered, he would be there. So we have an expectation of that. But we don't want it to end on just or being satisfied just in the fiery service. What about outside? What about our community that surrounds us, the greater community of the DMV, the Washington, D.C. Uh, metro area? What, what about those spaces? And so this series is um, kind of a, a urging, a refocusing on prayer and its importance in us seeing revival in the entire area. Um, and, and, and it looks like Elijah praying and praying and praying and praying until rain came, not until he got tired of praying, not until he thought maybe kind of sort of something had changed. But when he knew that he knew that change was coming, that's when he got up because the mission had been finished. And so as we kind of enter into this series um, what my hope is, is that I will be able to help us to begin to develop, um, further advance our development in becoming the kind of people that will cry out to God for his justice, excuse me, for his mercy and not his judgment. That we will cry out that God's mercy would triumph even over his judgment. And so I've... Um, Selected a text of Exodus chapter 32. We're going to be looking at verses 7 through 14. And as you are, you're kind of pulling that up. I just There was a thought as I was preparing that I found um, from Andrew Murray um, that I thought, um, man, I would love for you guys to hear it. So here it go. <laughs> um, Christ meant prayer to be the great power by which his church 
should do its work. And the neglect of prayer is the reason the church lacks greater power. We have far too little understanding of the place that intercession, as it distinguished from prayer for ourselves, ought to have in the church and in the Christian life. It's a new custom for us as we begin to look at scripture um, that we stand. And so I ask that you will stand as I read Exodus um, chapter 32, verse, verses 7 through 14. And the Lord said to Moses, go down for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt. Let me, let me start that over. And the Lord said to Moses, go down for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people and behold, it is a stiff necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say with evil intent did he bring them out? to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth. Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. Verse 14. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. Heavenly Father, as we begin to study your word, I ask that you will use me as a tool to communicate clearly your message, not my own. So move me aside. Um, help us to learn well. Make, prepare our hearts for the incorruptible seed of your word. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You guys may be seated. Thank you for standing. I know it's a, a new custom that we are getting used to, but the conviction that our lead pastor has had is, is something that I think we should honor um, because this word should have authority in our lives. The sermon that I've um, prepared this evening is called Seeking, the Mer um, Seeking Mercy for the City. Seeking Mercy for the City. And I have three points Hopefully, I will not be before you very long. Um, first point is going to be finding the connection point. Finding the connection point. Second, persistent prayer. Persistent prayer. And then finally, friendship with God. Friendship with God. Let's, let's talk finding the connection point. And what do I mean by that? Um, sometimes, living in the, the D.C. area, you can have a proximity to certain kind of ills of society that you can really um, be so distinguished from that you have no real empathy towards the circumstance that's going on. Maybe a better way of putting that is, is that you don't have enough proximity to the, 
the actors in the various situations that go on, that you can dehumanize them. I don't know why. Maybe it's because I'm a little bit older. I got kids. I want to see what's going on. I find myself kind of watching the news, not kind of traditional news like my my parents may have, but, you know, like on on YouTube or something like that. I'm catching little snippets of, of the news. And one of the things that I find is that there seems to be a level of violence that I'm really uncomfortable with. Um, whether it's carjacking, maybe there's, there, there's, there are shootings. I remember something over the summer at, at Tyson's Corner, there was a shooting that's there. And, and, and I immediately found kind of like in myself, because I'm not connected to that world, that, man, what, what is wrong with these people? There, there's something evil or demented about them. There must be a demon there. And I disconnected or I was never able to find a space where I would want to intercede on their behalf because I had dehumanized that particular person. I mean, it, it can be really kind of a shocking thing when you see certain sins. And I'm certain that that's what Moses must have been going through. What we find here in this situation is that Moses is at the top of Mount Sinai. He has already brought the people or the children of Israel out of Egypt, and he's come to Mount Sinai, and this is where he's going to get the Ten Commandments. And what's going on down below has shocked God. Not shocked God as if he didn't know, but it, it, it's, it's, it's done something because we see it in Moses' response. Like, what has made you so angry that his tone and tenor must have changed in the exchange of ideas that was going on at the top of Mount Sinai? And so we see in verse 7 where God says, and the Lord said to Moses, go down for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. As they're journeyed from Egypt, if you remember the 10 plagues that helped to set them free, there was the opening of the Red Sea, great miracles was God feeding them manna um, in the desert. There was a fire by night that would lead them, a pillar of smoke. There was manna that came in. I mean, I mean, there was just, I mean, water from a rock. There was so many ways in which God had provided for them that you would think that there would be some level of loyalty to him within a 40-day time span. Because we find out Moses is just up there for about six weeks. But as you read through verses 1 through 7 or 1 through 6, what happened is, is that the children of Israel, they go to Aaron and they say, hey man, this fellow Moses, we don't really know what's going on with him. Um, we need you to make us some gods. Aaron, man of the people, all right, I got you. Let me have your earrings. Let me get your bracelets. I'll throw it in the fire. And then he crafts something that looks like a golden calf. One of the most disturbing ways to offend our God is worshiping an idol. It's unacceptable to God. But if you look in that passage, one of the things you'll see is that Aaron called him Yahweh, the calf that is. You see it, it says Lord, and it's the four capital letters that distinguishes God's holy name, and he's ascribed it to a golden calf. And this bothers God so much that he confronts Moses with it. 
And the first observation that I have in this exchange, it, it comes from verse 7 where, where he says, your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. Talk about kind of the connection point. Because often when we think of kind of the intercession and, and, and having some, some heart affection towards those that deserve judgment, their sin itself kind of blinds us from that. And I think what, what God is doing here is kind of bringing awareness to Moses. Of course, he doesn't know exactly what's going on, but he's helping him to recognize that your people have gotten very far away from me. But he's identifying that these are your people. That Moses shouldn't separate himself from it because Moses wasn't doing that. that Moses had nothing to do with it. Just like I had nothing to do with the incidents that I heard about at Tyson's Corner or some of the carjackings that I've seen I had nothing to do, do with it. And I'm able to kind of keep a distance from that and, and kind of dehumanize the people that are involved. Now, don't hear me say that they are okay with their behavior. It was wrong to carjack someone. It was wrong to shoot a gun in a mall. That, that, that is wrong. But if, you, if you're able to dehumanize yourself from it then, or disconnect from it or not find a connection to, what happens is you will find yourself looking more like Jonah than Moses in this situation. If you're not familiar, the prophet Jonah, um, it was a four-chapter book, and, and one of the things that, that God had asked him to do, the only thing that's listed there primarily or the major overarching thing was for him to go to preach to a nation called Assyria at the capital called Nineveh. Jonah didn't want to have any parts to, with that, and so he decided to go to Tarshish. God uses a, a great fish, a great storm. He puts Jonah in the fish's mouth with this great storm. And then that fish spits him back out. And then finally, we find Jonah in Nineveh. He goes and preaches the message of repentance to the people. But because he was disconnected. And in some circles, we would say rightfully so. Assyria was horrible to the children of Israel. There was no love lost there. But because he couldn't find a connection point, we find that he is at odds with God at the end of the book of Jonah. God says this to Jonah in verse 11 of chapter 4. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? He's saying this in response to, to, to Jonah's anger towards God. Jonah says, I knew that you are a, a merciful God. You're willing to forgive. How dare you do that? They deserve judgment. I added that last part there. There, there, there was a, a dehumanization of the Assyrians because of the pain that they had caused them, because of the sin that they had caused his nation. I don't know how personal it was for him in that whether it was just his nation or maybe he had lost some some loved ones in battle because Assyrians had come in to do some some damage to them. 
but he could not find a connection point to those who were committing acts of evil. If we're going to be a church that cries out for revival, we have to find connection points. We have to recognize that these are our people. Because I'm a Washingtonian. These are my people because they're in Loudoun County or Prince George's County or Fairfax County or whatever county that you're in. These are, these are my people because God is the creator of us all. And so I'm going to find the connection point so that I'm willing to pray, so that I am kind of urged by God. I'm urged by a, a love towards my neighbor as I love myself because I found a connecting point. Listen, we live in a culture that consistently finds ways to divide. Do, do, do you understand what I'm saying? That we find reasons to divide, to put you in that camp versus this camp. And so it's something countercultural for us to find reasons to cry out for this person. We have to find life connecting points with our neighbor. And not just kind of push it off into their ethnicity so it's their problem. Or maybe it's a gender thing, so because it's a woman, I don't really have to care. Or if it's a man, I don't really have to care. We have to find this connection point. And we, we, we have to find it because as we see with God here, what he's doing is challenging Moses by calling him your people. What are you going to do? Really quickly, he is bringing it to his attention. I mean, just kind of take a step back. The God who opened up the Red Sea, does he really have to let Moses know what's going on? Does, does, he, does he need Moses to go down there to stop that? Couldn't he do that himself? There, there, there's a challenge that is there that is happening. It is a, 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 it is a, a way that there, there is a way that we have to stay away from the them versus us mentality mindset that prophet Jonah had. We have to stay away from that. Second observation that I see in this passage is really found in, in, in verse 10. Let me, um, let, let me read um, verses 8 and 9 just to kind of set it up. But verse 8 says, they have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them. The second observation that I see here is this phrase, let me alone. I think it leads to, the, it kind of speaks to the type of intercessory prayer that we need to have developed on the inside of us as a community of believers. And that's persistent prayer. I mean, God is so angry here that he tells Moses, <coughs> I said, let me get some waters that I don't do that again. And absolutely did it again. Sorry about that. Moses is... He's confronted with God's kind of 
Have you ever, like, had a personal relationship, maybe with your mother or your father, um, and there's, there, there's such a response, an emotional response to something, maybe anger is, is a way that you could characterize it, that they say, you know what, leave me alone right now. I don't want to have, you, don't even talk to me right now. When, 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 when there are situations that arise to that level, to the magnitude that we're seeing here in the scripture, to the magnitude that we see kind of in our communities, there, there, there may be obstacles that come in our prayer that we have to be willing to overcome. Because Moses had this connecting point to the people he was able to overcome what God had put in his way to intercede on behalf of the people. For him, it was God's kind of verbal anger there in that situation. For us at times, it's the amount of time that it takes to see it come to pass, to see it come to fruition. And like if, if you really want to see that, that uncle that, that seems to be in and out of jail, or, or, or maybe it's that cousin who has the Fortune 500 business, but they have a new age belief. They're, they're totally lost. Maybe it's the, 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 the co-worker that seems to, 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 to always want to steal your lunch out of the refrigerator. <laughs> Maybe, maybe there are a whole host of people that, that you know are lost and that you, you, you have this connection with them and, and you want to see them saved. But man, I've, I've, I've been praying for a while and it just hasn't happened yet. You know, intercession is, is one of those things where we're, we are committing to seek God's face on the welfare of someone else. And it doesn't always happen when we want it to happen. And, and, and I mean, you know, like when you live in a culture with social media and, man, an issue will arise, like, say, Ukraine and, and Russia and that situation arises. And it, it's, it's kind of hot, and so it's, it's, it's kind of trending on Twitter a lot, or maybe on, or it, you, you find it on the evening news. You, if you're still reading your newspaper, you're, you're, you're seeing it in, in print form. But then maybe a month goes by, and it's, it's not there anymore. On social media is even quicker. That there, there, there seems to be some star, kind of pop star. Maybe he's, he said something kind of crazy, and, and now the whole world's attention is on the, the fact that he said something so politically incorrect. And the Russia-Ukraine situation kind of gets brushed to the, the backside. That is an obstacle to our intercession. I can say that, and not proudly by any stretch of the imagination, as, as one of the associate pastors, as, as Pastor J.C. pointed out, I'm over prayer. We have a 6 a.m. 6 prayer call. And every day we are interceding on behalf of Grace Covenant Church. Um, and you are more than invited to join that call. We have some cards out in the front if you want to get that number um, so that you can join that call. 15-minute call. 
Um, and what I've asked all of the prayer leaders to do um, is to close the call out with a prayer for the Ukraine-Russia situation. And so we've been interceding for that since it's happened. But you know, one of the wrestles that I have on the inside of me is, man, have we been praying for that too long? Should we, should we keep praying for that particular situation? It's, it's, it hasn't stopped yet. God hasn't answered our prayers. I don't want people to get discouraged, so maybe they shouldn't do it. Or man, I'm kind of tired of always praying for that. There's some other things that we could be praying for because we only have a certain amount of time. There is a way as an intercessor in the exercise of prayer that when we don't have our kind of desires met quickly, we may say that God has said, let me alone. Or the answer is no, when it's not actually no, it's just not yet. There is an approach that we have to have when we're talking about seeking the mercy for the city, when we're talking about being rainmakers, that has to have some longevity to it, that it's, it's running a marathon and it's not a sprint. It, it is something where we, we kind of pace ourselves and we may set reminders for ourselves just in case if my proclivity to want to move on to something else starts to kick in. I have a reminder pop up on my phone that tells me, no, I need to kind of give time to that, my attention to that. I need to seek God's face. I need to plead on behalf of. There's a persistence in this type of prayer that we need to have, that we need to have cultivated if we're going to be developed into the type of people that will seek God's mercy to triumph over his justice. Amen. Excuse me, over his judgment. And there's a very big distinction between justice and judgment. God is for justice. And we should always pray for justice. But judgment is another ball game that I do not want to participate in in this country. I would rather it not happen during my lifetime or my kid's lifetime. I, I, don't, I don't want to, to participate in that. There are kingdoms that used to thrive on this earth and have faced the judgment of God and they no longer exist. Do you understand the, the, the magnitude of that? And so when we're thinking about seeking mercy, it's because we start to understand the severity of the issues. We start to understand the, the, the magnitude of the wrath of God that could be poured out on the people. And we certainly don't want that. Persistent prayer is my second observation that I see in this passage. And finally, it's friendship with God. I say friendship with God because as I was preparing on this sermon and I'm kind of reading the passage and, and, and as you can tell from my passion here that man is like, man, these, these children of Israel, man, they deserve exactly what they're going to get. And so, of course, Moses cried out because, you know, he was, I mean, the severity of God. Look what he had just done to Egypt and, and, and how he had destroyed that kingdom. I mean, man, he knew what was up and the fear of the Lord is the beginning of, of all knowledge. And, and that's what I need to preach on. It was kind of that approach to it that I started to try to layer, lay out things. But then God helped me to see something. That if God was challenging Moses to find a connection point, if God laid out 
an obstacle for him and let me alone. There was even kind of this temptation at the end of verse 10 where he says, let me just read all of 10. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. But there was something in it for Moses if these. (laughs) I'm laughing because the children of Israel were not an easy bunch to lead. If you're not familiar with the story, I mean, when they didn't get what they wanted, they threatened to stone Moses. Look, you were slaves. I helped you find freedom, but you want to kill me? They were not an easy bunch to lead. And then the honor of being called the people of Moses instead of the children of Abraham, the children of Moses? Why didn't he fall for that temptation? I know sometimes when I, when I think about my own comfort, and gentrification sounds like a good thing in some neighborhoods, as wicked as that may sound to some people. But man, if they could get rid of all the violence and and all of the drugs and stuff like that, because I've, I've been able to dehumanize somebody and, and not think about kind of the lineage and, and the families and the history that's there and what were the circumstances that may have led to that kind of a lifestyle choice. But for my own comfort, that I would prefer that. Where I don't think up through all of the ramifications because um, I just think about what, what it does for me. And that is a real temptation that we have to ignore kind of the needs of the city in this regard. But it was friendship with God that had been forged over time for Moses. That allowed him to make a decision that was for God's glory and not for his own. Listen to his response. But Moses implored the Lord, his God, and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? God, you are the one that has brought them here. Why are you so angry with your own people? Why should the Egyptians say with evil intent did he bring them out? God, I care about your reputation. What will our enemies say about you? Don't do this. Verse 13, remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by your own name. Remember the covenant, God. I don't want no new nation in my name. I put my faith, I'm ten toes down on the covenant promises that have been made of what you have proclaimed over my people. And I'm not looking for something to change that because it will affect your glory. Because you have put your name on it. Your name is great and I want it to remain great. Relent from this wrath that you want to pour out on your people. And it was friendship with God that helped him to see that what God really wanted was for someone to intercede on behalf of the people. 
When we think about the ails of our community, maybe God is trying to say, listen to me, my friend. Will you cry out on their behalf? Because I do not want to pour out judgment on their life. Because the reality is everybody will face judgment one day. Everybody will stand before the throne. And they will have to face an eternity either with God or without God. And if you have not captured this idea that hell is not where you want to be. In fact, you don't even want your enemies to be there. And we need to cry out for people who are destined to go to hell. We need to cry out for them because the punishment is far too horrible. We need to cry out for people in that regard because that is what God desires. This friendship with God that should compel us to seek the mercy of God for the city. It's friendship with God that is going to help us to find real connecting points so that we can have empathy towards even our enemies. And I heard a, a testimony um, from a preacher named Christine Kane, and she says she was in um, part of like the underground church um, over in Asia, and they were, they were suffering some persecution on um, this particular town. And and. And what, what the, the older folks says, look, we don't really know how to kind of raise up this younger generation. All we know how to do is pray for um, the people who take us to jail or take us off to be killed. We just know how to pray for them so that they will get saved. And I'm like, what in the world? <laughs> what? Like, you, you have developed such a friendship with God that you could look at the Ninevites and cry out on their behalf and genuinely want to see them saved, even though they're murdering your people? You mean to tell me you can stand in opposition or in, in, in direct kind of um, distinction from a, a Jonah in your prayer life? That kind of tripped me out. But that's my hope for us as a community of believers. Is that we can see our neighbors whether good or bad, man, if judgment is coming their way, that we will cry out for revival. Amen. That we would genuinely cry out for revival so that we could see change. Moses, through his friendship with God, was able to obtain this distinctive. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. How about you? Will you be able to say one day, you know, the Lord relented from the disaster that he was going to bring on that man who touched me the wrong way. And the guy who stabbed me. And God relented from the disaster that he was going to bring on him. There, there's some evil things that are taking place in this world. And often it is inspired by the enemy. And there's an ignorance and there's a, 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 a um, there, there, there is just a, a lack of wisdom where people, we are more like sheep and we don't even recognize that we are following another sheep off the cliff. 
If you didn't know that about sheep, if, if sheep, they, they kind of herd up, if one of them starts to walk off a cliff and one of them's behind it, it will follow it right off the cliff to its own death. In humanity, we're, we're, we're too often we are like that and we just follow what the culture is saying, what the, 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 the most prominent people are saying, and we, we just we kind of follow. But when God has woken us up, he's helped us to get off of that path of destruction onto the straight and narrow. And he's helping us to see. I mean, we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility to this God. To see our community and to cry out for our community. And that we're not passive about this thing. That we're active and we received a prophetic word. God allowed it to be delivered here in this building. We, just as much as anyone in every nation world, should be crying out for revival. Amen. We should be the rainmakers that pray until they see rain. Not just one time. Not just when it's convenient. But in a persistent fashion. That we're crying out for our friend, because what Jesus did at the cross allowed us to no longer to, to be enemies of God or even to move into a relationship as a servant. He allowed us to be called friends. And as a friend of God, it is much greater for us to lay down our desires for his desires. Amen. My final thought, and I was a a campus minister before I became an associate pastor. And the love of my life um, had to endure um, some hard financial times um, because of that choice of career. What made it even worse is that you have to raise support, and I was having a very difficult time raising the support. So I really wasn't making much money, and I was getting sick at that time, so there were some other things that were going on. And a friend of mine said, you know, maybe, Sean, you're not really supposed to be a campus minister full time. Maybe you should do something else. It was the first time I looked up and said, well, maybe God didn't call me to do that. And I remember going back to my wife and I told her, you know what, babe, I think I'm just going to go get a job and I'll volunteer on campus. So that I could do that. Problem solved. And we had three kids at the time. One salary. And issues, the job market and the way things were going at her job, we, it wasn't the greatest time for me not to be working or making money. And my wife looked at me and said, there is no way in the world that I would have you to stop pursuing being a campus minister. That you would never be happy. You know that you are called by God. And I am too invested in you achieving that goal for us to stop now. Man, everything changed at that moment. It's like, we, like God said, okay, now they're in agreement. And the money came in and everything, a couple of dominoes later, I'm here preaching in front of you. It's the relationship that has been developed over the course of years 
and allowed her to push aside her comfort, what was best for her, and look out for me. Moses, through the course of his life, learned that God does indeed love mercy. That he could have just wiped the Egyptians out and taken his people. He certainly could have done that. But that he was doing something much bigger than that. That when Moses would go and and cry about his inability to do this and that, he saw the faithfulness of God. That God had invited him into a friendship and that they actively worked together to build that friendship that culminated in a moment like this. Brothers and sisters, don't passively live out this Christian life. Show up in prayer time with God. Talk to him about your job. Talk to him about your kids. Talk to him about the sunrise and the the, the sun going down. Every area of life, actively work to develop this friendship so that if you're ever confronted with a moment like this or you think about this, the, the, the reason for this series, this prayer for revival, that we push aside what's best for us, maybe a little extra sleep, maybe a little extra time watching TV, and we do what's best for God. Because this is what he desires. Can you agree to that? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time in your word. I thank you that you are developing us into the type of intercessors that will find connections, that will pray persistently. But most importantly, we will pray from our friendship that has been birthed by you, by the blood on the cross. If there's anyone here in this room Anyone maybe at home on the internet, if you don't have a relationship with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, this is the perfect time to enter into this friendship that he has made available to you. If that's you, please raise your hand and let us know that we may pray with you um, that you want to accept this invitation of salvation. Amen. Amen. Well, Heavenly Father, I thank you that this room is full of your friends. Everything that has truly been from you, I pray that you will prick our hearts with, that it will motivate us to live a life of prayer. In the name of Jesus.